Hey, y'all. Welcome back to El Nino Speaks. Jill Colton is joining me today. She's a former award-winning media personality from Toronto, Canada, but she's actually living in the sunny state of Florida these days. How's Florida treating you? Uh, Thank you for inviting me on your show. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, that's right. We escaped uh, Canada last October to get ahead of the mandates that Trudeau imposed on unvaccinated citizens in which you were not allowed to fly internationally or fly or take a train or a ferry within our own country. So we got out and we had owned a house in Florida for quite some time because we basically saw that things were getting really bad in Canada. So we, you know, kind of shored up our bets that things were going to go downhill really fast. And that happened in about 2015, 2016, right in conjunction with the Trump election. And we figured we would live around the area where Trump lived, like obviously not the billionaire area, but as close as we could get in proximity to what we could afford because we figured it would be a, a place of freedom. So, you know, I think that we bet correctly and where we are in South Florida is amazing. Like, it was fantastic. I do have to say, though, during COVID, I was a little bit disappointed because uh, Palm Beach County initiated all of the mask mandates. So they were a little mask crazy there. But by the time we arrived in October of 2021, it had really tapered off quite a bit. They weren't so Nazi-ish about the masks. There's a lot of freedom-loving people in that area. And the one thing that I did notice, comparatively to Canada, the attitude about the vaccine itself, people in Canada do not believe in freedom of choice for a vaccine, or at least they won't say it to you publicly. Maybe they believe it internally, but they certainly won't share that view. Uh, Whereas in Florida, you know, people were totally, had the attitude of like, hey, listen, if you want the vaccine, get it. If you don't want it, that's your choice. It's your body. And that was really something that was culturally different coming from Toronto, a place where, in my opinion, everybody's a communist. (laughs) So... We're in Florida now, and it's great. We're loving it. I mean, yeah, I can imagine Florida is def- uh, is like definitely one of like the freer states in the U.S. And from what I've read about Canada, it's always struck me as a trendsetter for a lot of multicultural and like globalist projects. Now, I wanted to talk about your previous media background because that part interests me. What was it like when you worked in mainstream media? So I worked in mainstream media for a really long time. Like I'm educated. I went to the University of Toronto for communications. And then I did a supplementary college diploma in broadcast journalism. And I'd been working in the field for roughly 12 to 13 years. And I had worn all types of different hats in journalism, including an on-air reporter, an anchor, weather person, you know, talk show host, producer, all these sorts of things. And I can say that when I started in the business, there was a lot more freedom for differing opinions. Because I started off working in conservative talk radio. And I mean, take that with a grain of salt. Conservatism in Toronto is, you know, liberal in America, for sure. But at least there were different viewpoints in an incredibly liberal city. As I went on, particularly, I would say things started to get really weird after the 2008 election of Obama um, in Toronto media. Because you have to understand, like Canadians, they hate Americans in a lot of ways. You know, they hate being the 
little brother to America. But they adopt a lot of left-wing policies that are seemingly radical in the United States, but they won't adopt the conservative policy. So it's interesting. So when Obama was elected, I would say that was the turning point, probably in the U.S. too, but also in Canadian media, where things started to get really weird in the newsroom. And by the time Trump came along, the Trump election, I was working in Toronto. I was working at a station called CP24, which is really well known. And it was the fact that like I made a conscious decision after a certain amount of time to be a little bit more vocal in the newsroom about being a Trump supporter. And I knew it would be the end of my career. Like I just, I knew it. But I couldn't be somebody who was not going to voice their opinion about the lies that I felt that they were telling on air. And, you know, I don't want to say... This is such a tricky subject because, like, I don't want to say they're outright lying in the sense that, like, you know, a reporter is is just lying in a newscast. It's not so simple. They come into the institution of journalism already heavily brainwashed, right? Because they've gone through the system, the government system of, you know, the liberal slant. So universities in Canada are very liberal oriented as they are in the United States as well. And so by the time they get to the field, like a newsroom, they already have a very liberal leaning personality. So, you know, the fact that I was a Trump supporter in Toronto is unheard of. So I was really cast aside at that point. Like everybody liked me in the newsroom until I was like a little bit friendly to Trump. And all of a sudden, it was like I was a freak. You know, nobody was really saying it to me, but I could sense it in the atmosphere that like I now was not accepted anymore. And I knew this when I came out as a Trump supporter. Like I never was really like, I love Trump. He's amazing. Like I never really did that. But I was more like, hey, listen, like this report that we're putting on air is a little bit, you know, factually incorrect. Why don't we change it? Like it's coming from the Canadian press on the wire. We should probably do a little bit of fact checking because it's really disparaging to Trump and it's not necessarily true. And I would say over and over in the newsroom, why do you care? Like, why do you care to be so left-leaning when it comes to Trump? He's not our president. Like why the skew on every single story? Like it was just weird. And then of course it got worse and worse. Like during 2015, 2016, it was really bad. Like the stories were so biased so disparaging to Trump. They were coming out and basically just saying he's a racist, he's a sexist, he's a misogynist. Like, this is not journalism. These are, you know, people that are propagandists. This is not, you know, looking at a story from both sides and getting viewpoints from both sides. This is like totally one-sided stuff. That's not the definition of journalism. Maybe in 2022 it is. And so I just, you know, I said my soul is worth more to me than working in this newsroom environment. And I just, I quit. Could I have stayed longer? Yeah, maybe. But it didn't matter. Like the truth was out about me. Now I'm a conservative and I am pro-life conservative. I'm a pro-Trump conservative. That's just, you're not allowed to be those things in a newsroom, especially not in Toronto, which is as liberal leaning a city as Washington DC or New York City. You're just not allowed to be that person. And if you are that person, you have to suppress those views. And I wasn't willing to do that. So when you entered media, you've always held some degree of conservative beliefs, correct? Yeah. You were never a liberal at any point. No, but I'm conservative Jill in 2022 would look back at, say, you know, 2005 Jill and call her a progressive (laughs) comparatively. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
But, um, you know, I never voted liberal. I was at one time pro-choice, but it was a very, very small period of time where I didn't know anything and I didn't really go down the rabbit hole of pro-lifers. And when I did that, I was immediately changed over to a pro-life person. I mean, this is all it takes, right? You just have to see one video, pro-life video, and you're like, hey, listen, this is killing babies straight out. Like, there's just no denying that. And I, I guess I, was, I wasn't a feminist. I mean, I was never a feminist. I always saw that as really cringy. But I was somebody who put career ahead of family. So in that regard, I was liberal. I was progressive. I believed in the career woman mentality. Yeah, really yeah it's did. like a first wave feminist type. Yeah. yeah. I didn't believe in the pink hair stuff. Like I was always a yeah. feminist woman, but I was not, I was very career oriented. And that really started to shift probably when I was about 34. And now you're getting late into the party for babies, right? Like <laughs> your biological <laughs> realities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Luckily, God graced me with that turning point and that wisdom at the right moment. Even then, it was it was late to the party, right? Um, so I struggled in the fertility department, but uh, by the grace of God, I've had two healthy children. So that's wonderful. But yeah, I, I'd say it like in that regard, I, I definitely swallowed the Kool Aid for sure. You know, I didn't I didn't know that that was you know that was considered liberalism i just that's how i was raised that's what i believe that you know a woman can have this career she can have a family and again like i said family was on the back burner for me so i would argue back then yeah sure i would have considered myself conservative but jill in 2022 would have considered jill back then as a progressive <laughs> now i'm curious about in canadian politics are mainline conservatives burnt equally in effigy as, say, like a populist right-winger like Maxime Bernier? Uh, Maxime Bernier would be considered a radical. Like, he would be considered fringe, although I don't believe his views are fringe at all. I mean, if you look at poll after poll when it comes to immigration, they are always skewing in favor of less immigration and by a huge percentage. Like, we're talking majority of people want less immigration. So when a Maxime Bernier says, we need to limit immigration or even call for an immigration moratorium, which I think he has done, you know, this is not a fringe view. But, you know, the mainstream media will make this appear that it is fringe. So back to your question, conservatism in Canada is certainly not akin to conservatism in the United States by any stretch, unless you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan, and then it might be a little bit more in line with American conservatism. For the most part, conservatives in Canada would be liberals in the U.S. And you would say like in every sense of the word from like a host of issues like immigration to say gun policy and all that? Uh, Not when it comes to immigration. That's actually a misnomer. Like I said, the majority of Canadians want less immigration and that includes liberals. So on the immigration front, it is 100%. Well, I don't want to say 100%. It's about 70 to 80% of Canadians want less immigration. And it spans all different political parties, including the NDP. So it's a, it's a big failure issue. And most Canadians don't even know the extent to which we're seeing this invasion. They don't know the numbers. They don't know that it's actually a million newcomers a year. If you factor in permanent residents and students... So if they actually knew those numbers, I would guess that it would be almost 100% of people would not want more immigration. But yes, in terms of gun control, 
in terms of abortion. You know what? I don't want to say because they, when it comes to abortion in Canada, like we don't have any abortion laws. We are on par with like North Korea and I think it is Vietnam maybe. Like we don't have any abortion laws. It's crazy and it's sick. But I don't know what the percentage of Canadians that support, like actually support abortion is compared to pro-lifers. I don't know. I bet you if they did the poll, it would be surprising. I bet you 30% of Canadians are pro-life. That's what I would guess. That's actually funny you mentioned about immigration because you see this similar political class and voter disconnect in the U.S. as well because people tend to forget that the labor wing of the Democratic Party used to be really pro-immigration restriction. Heck, even Bernie Sanders was instrumental in capsizing George W. Bush's amnesty plan like around like 2006, if I recall correctly. And you have like a black politician, Barbara Jordan, who was also very much against mass migration on labor grounds. And then last but certainly not least, Cesar Chavez, who is a known Hispanic labor activist. As his legacy has generally been retconned because they, uh, the ruling classes want people to know that he was also very much opposed to mass illegal immigration that put downward pressure on worker wages. But don't tell that to the bobblehead media here. But that, that is like interesting that that dynamic is pretty prevalent throughout a lot of the Anglosphere where you have like a big disconnect between the political class and the voter base on immigration. Well, actually, what I think is really funny, and I mean that because I've seen it a bunch of times, is you get these large immigrant uh I say invasions. Yes, that might not be correct. politically correct, but that's what it seems to be to me. And they set up shop here, and they actually become staunchly immigration, anti-immigration activists. So a good example of that is the Chinese. We have massive Chinese populations here, and they've taken over cities in Ontario. One of them in particular is Markham, Ontario. It's been completely infiltrated by Chinese. So you go there, and signs are in Chinese, like Mandarin. You know, whole malls are devoted to Mandarin and Chinese shops. Whole neighborhoods are Chinese. And very specifically, one area in China of Chinese. So it's, you know, it's very specific. And what do they do? They're the first ones on the front lines protesting against immigration. So I think it's hilarious. (laughs) You know, even they're smart enough to understand the implications of immigration. Yeah. Oh, it's like a total tower of Babel if you just oh, open up the The irony fragment. is just it's so thick, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're a staunch environmentalist, I would say, why are you not against immigration? Because everything that you would stand for, immigration would be the opposite of environmentalism, right? Like the Green Party in Canada should be staunchly against immigration. If they represent the environment, then why would you want more people? More people equals more pollution. It equals more trapped housing. It equals more resources being used up, right? You have to accommodate all of these newcomers by building housing. That is an infringement on the environment. We're talking about more traffic. We're talking about more usage of gasoline. Like, I mean, the whole thing is so counterintuitive. And yet these people are so stupid. They'll be like the biggest environmentalist in the world. And then they'll be cheering on immigration. And you laugh at them because they're dumb. They don't understand. Yeah, I even tell this to a lot of Blacks here that 
like especially like Hispanic mass migration has resulted in like de facto ethnic cleansing of historically black neighborhoods all the way yes. from like Los Angeles to like Miami. There was like legit like race riots in like the 80s where like a Hispanic cop would put a beat down on a, a black citizen and like riots would kick off and all that. And you see like Hispanic gangs just totally like clear out these neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's like really, it does show like diversity is definitely not a strength. It is a source of like inter-ethnic conflict and it creates all sorts of problems. And it's a make-work program because then the natural response when that violence kicks off is you have to have like some commissar to like mediate disputes and that creates like a whole new government agency or a bunch of mm-hmm. make-work jobs for like nonprofit organizations. It's a never-ending spiral that results in the native population in the country get dispossessed as more resources are shifted to cater to non-native groups. Yes, absolutely. It's so beneficial to government. And it gives them more power too, right? And it gives them the ability to pit people against one another, which is like their way of winning elections. Nope, divide and rule. Yeah, that's right. And creating chaos because they know that it doesn't work. You know, it's never worked in the history of time, immigration, in terms of like immigration works if you're talking about the same types of people immigrating. Yeah. For example, like, you know, Canadian traditional immigration sources were from America and Britain and even France, right? For Quebec, that will work. But what will not work is if you take somebody from Africa, like Somalians, and then you drop them here in Canada. And, you know, white people are not going to live around this. This is white flight. We see it in every pocket of Western civilization, where if an area becomes too ethnic, whites will flee it. That's what they do. And it's interesting because Canada has famously always been, you know, founded by the French and the English. And then you'd have, I suppose, native populations dispersed within that. I'm talking about indigenous people. So... The French and the English were always at odds. And these are two similar, you know, ethnic groups from Europe, British and French people. They couldn't even make it work. <laughs> yeah. So why would you think adding Indians, Sri Lankans, Japanese, all of the entire world, this melting pot of people, that's going to work. It's going to heighten chaos by astronomical amounts. It, you know, the British and the French famously were at serious almost war with each other in Canada for years under, you know, it was Pierre Trudeau senior or rather Pierre Trudeau that turned our country into this multi-ethnic cesspool. And that, you know, one of the reasons that that was done, obviously he was a rabid communist, but also was the fact that like, it was a way of diffusing the tensions between the French and the English. Yeah. Didn't, Pierre Trudeau, wasn't he the one that officially proclaimed that Canada is a quote-unquote multicultural state? Yes. So he changed the charter, I think it was in 1982, and under his jurisdiction, the charter was changed to include this concept of multiculturalism. This had never been talked about prior to that time. They changed the immigration laws in accordance uh, with American immigration law changes. I think it was in 1965 for the U.S. when they opened... Yes you know, the borders to the world. And they followed suit in Canada, as they always do, because they're followers and follow left-wing policy that the United States enacts. And they did it in 1967. And then, you know, that gave enough time for the rise of Trudeau Sr. to bring in his commie ways. You know, and the funny part about him was that he was 
rabidly communist. He spent you know, time in the USSR. They hid all of these facts about him. But his goal was to change, was to bring communism to the liberal party. So he wanted underneath the liberal logo. He knew that he couldn't get away with being a full-out communist, but he could do it subversively through the liberal party. And as you look through time, you know, after his reign, the liberals have become increasingly more communist. Of course, Canadians don't understand this. They think, you know, they, they, you have to understand, like, Canadians are very apathetic people. They're very passive-aggressive people. They have, you know, no concepts of war or anything like that because we've never been through it. And we're also a country that doesn't, you know, is, is new right? We don't really have any experience in communism. Neither does the United States, really. But the United States is much more of a war-focused country. Uh, Canada is not. Canada has always been under the umbrella of protection from America. So we kind of just sit there on our bully pulpit and like look down our noses at the United States and all of their guns and all of their wars. And we just think, oh, well, we have this freedom just because. Well, no, it's because of the proximity to the United States that we are safe and previously free. But that's changing very fast because the communists are, you know, the march of the institutions has been happening for quite some time and they are totally have taken over. I mean, the society is crumbling. It is absolutely a different society even five years ago. So things are changing very fast. And this is dangerous because human beings are not used to this sort of change at this speed, right? This is not what we can handle. This is why we're seeing my personal thoughts or why we're seeing so much mental illness in society now because the rapid change to the society yeah, in certain respects, a lot of like the mass migration and just the broader social engineering that is being imposed on the West is actually like more radical than, say, like Soviet or Maoist style like communism, because with those type of societies, like you destroy their economies, but they've like empirically reconstituted itself with like a resurgent Russia now and China. But when, when you go like mass migration and then Re- like completely re-engineer the genders, your society will literally probably like disappear within like a century. Yeah, of like, course, but this is what they want. Yeah. This is so obvious. I mean, you know, I think a lot of these policies that they enact, yes, they're for power and for greed, but I think that they're just a means of destruction, just to destroy. There's no other reason, right? Like, because there's so many things that are just, they don't make sense about what they're doing. To me, it's just full-blown destruction of the West. Yeah. And they certainly want it to exist. I mean, look at all of the anti-natal propaganda that they're pumping out. Whites have to feel guilty about everything. You know, we're being silently genocided through immigration. It's, you know, happening overtly now with the COVID vaccine. You know, it's every single arena of life has been subverted. The food you're eating is poison. You know, arguably the weather is being modified. Um, It's just, it's all destruction, all of it. And it really centers around the destruction of Christians, specifically, you know, European Christians, traditionally Americans and Canadians. I mean, Canada was taken over a long time ago. I don't see a lot of hope for Canada, but America is a special place. There's something very different about an American, a white American, 
particularly a white American man. They're freedom-loving people. And you don't get that a lot in the world. They pretty much are a, an entity on their own. Most countries and most citizens of those countries are for communism to some degree. They really are. Freedom is very specific to the American white male. And that's why the propaganda is so intense and geared towards them in particular. Yeah, definitely. That's like the one of like the last bastions of support in the U.S. that keeps, especially like middle Americans, working class types, they're always like disproportionately targeted by the regime. And, and that's why they've really cranked up that propaganda to 11. Now, in terms of demographics, do you know offhand what are like the racial slash ethnic demographics of Canada at the moment? Well, I think the stat is by 2030 or 2035 that Canada will be multicultural majority and whites will be nationwide under 50%. So we are rapidly getting to that point in time. Now, listen, if you turned off the immigration faucet and you just let whites be, you know, and then say you did sort of like get these people to move back to their homes, not to say that that's ever going to happen, but you repatriate them sort of thing, you would have the birth rates in Canada would probably increase. And if they didn't, so what? You'd still have a healthy white population and that population would do what it's supposed to do, right? It'd either go up uh, or it would go down depending on the situation, right? What's going on in the world. And when I say that, I mean like back in the day when they, you know, prior to the industrial revolution, they need, you know, people lived on farms, so they would produce five, six, seven children. Whereas now you don't need to have that many children, but things could change and then you'd have more people reproducing. Um, But... Yeah, the population is substantially in Canada. I would say the Indian Chinese populations are quite high. In Ontario, the Indian population is very high. And I would say in British Columbia, the Chinese population is very high. So they will make up the two fundamental like um, minority groups that will be the largest in Canada, aside from traditional white Europeans. What would you, because you have experience in seeing like some of like the differences between like the American and Canadian systems of immigration, what would you say are like the principal differences between those systems? Uh, Well, Canada just lets anybody in. Like we don't have a merit-based system anymore. I think in the U.S. they at least used to have a merit-based system. But I mean, listen, like the American immigration system is completely broken too. I mean, look at what's happening at the southern border. Yes, yes. It's... Travesty. I mean, it's just, it's so crazy what's going on there. Um, So, you know, and I mean, it's tough to say. They're both totally corrupted. They're both destroyed immigration systems. Like, neither of them is good. So, I, you know, Canada, like I said, the traditional sources of immigration were coming from, uh, you know, the United States and Western Europe, and now they're not. The vast majority of immigrants coming into Canada are from India and parts of Asia, and now Africa. There's a lot of immigrants coming in from Africa, right? They've opened up the borders to those people. But both of these systems are in total destruction mode. So I I wouldn't say like compare and contrast. They're both garbage. (laughs) They're both destroying the society. So, you know, not much there. So I would take it that then, yeah, Canada's system is more like, uh, like the immigrants that come to Canada tend to be more legal 
than say like the U.S. Because like, yeah. yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, that yes, that's true. We do have an illegal immigration issue. Uh, they are coming through Roxham Road. Obviously, it's not to the tune of what's happening on the southern border. Yeah. But you have to remember, if compare and contrast population sizes, right? Like Canada's population is say, you know, they always say it's 38 million. I'd put it closer to probably 40, 41 million. Um, and then the United States is what, like 350 million. So like, even if we got say 100 people a day illegally coming into our country, that's a lot, yes, right? Yes, it is. Consider our population. And where do they go? Well, they go to the cities. They go to Montreal, they go to Toronto. And that's where they stay. So those cities are no longer white majority cities, right? They're something else. Um, but yeah, like I would say, yeah, okay, so they're legally immigrating here. But like, what is the criteria? It could be like anything. Like they've opened up the borders to the extent that you can have a disabled family member come to our country now. Well, who's going to foot the bill for that? Well, the taxpayer, of course, because we have free healthcare, right? Well, what are you talking about? How is that fair to somebody like myself who was born into the system, you know, I'm like 12 plus generations Canadian. I've been paying for the system my whole life. And then you just get somebody who's disabled from Sri Lanka come to Canada. And now suddenly we're paying their like obscene medical bills. What are you talking about? Why is this allowed? This is craziness. Like, so they're just letting everybody in. And students are a big problem too. You know, we at one time limited the amount of foreign students that were allowed in. Now, we don't care. We just let them all in. They're all Chinese. They're all, you know, in the school. So they're taking resources from us. You know, they're taking a spot from a Canadian because the universities are corrupted and greedy, right? They want that international money. And of course, the government allows it. And so they're taking a spot from a Canadian. And then they take that knowledge that they learned at our premier institutions of education, and then they bring it back to China. And you're like, well, what, what did that help us? That's not bettering our society you're helping out the Chinese. So I would say like, you know, who cares if it's legal immigration? It doesn't matter. You know, it's irrelevant. I don't care if if 5 million of them are doctors. I don't care. That's not the point. If you're such a great immigrant, why are you coming here? Fix your own country or stay in your own country. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, listen, I I say this ironically because I am immigrating to the United States, but I'm not a foreigner to the United States. I have... Half of my family lives there and was born there. And my great-grandmother is an American. She was born in North Dakota. So I'm not some foreigner and I'm a white European Christian woman. This is traditionally, this is what was in America. So I'm not some foreigner to America, right? Like United States, Canada, like this is where I'm from. So I don't see it the same way. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not from... Korea coming to America, like that's a very different move, right? Like it's just not the same. It's not in the same world. But I understand, like you could argue, well, Jill, you're immigrating to the United States, but obviously it's a a little bit more copacetic, right? Like I don't think Americans would argue my family coming into the US. They would want more of my type coming into the US, right? Yeah, even in like my case, like even say like some based right-wing government just came to power here and they just told me to like leave and like repatriate. Like I wouldn't really care. Yeah, it'd be a hassle, but like mankind has experienced much worse problems than that. And I just like pack up and not really complain about it because countries have a right to include and exclude people as they see fit. It's really an extension of the 
freedom of association at a national level, which I'm perfectly fine with. But some people, they lose their minds over that. But Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the brain rot we see with people these days. Well, if our governments cared about us, then they would focus on repatriation because some people, they they don't fit in. They don't fit in. And I'm sorry, like there needs to be prerequisites to immigration. First off, like my belief is that you shouldn't be allowed in Canada to immigrate here and instantly get free healthcare. How is that fair? Like it should be a 10 year in good standing immigrant before you get your hands on our free healthcare system. Our healthcare system is imploding. It cannot take the amount of people that are being inundated in the system. So that should be for Canadians only. And if you're a criminal immigrant, like if you are caught committing a crime, you should be sent back. You know, your paper should be revoked. Goodbye. Why are we keeping you? You're not good for the society. Goodbye. Like these are the things. And like, also you can't do chain migration. That's crazy. I mean, you come here with your immediate family. Okay, fine. But like, you're talking about bringing their uncles, their aunts, like disabled family members. It's insane. Like there needs to be harsher requirements for immigration. You can't just let everybody in. But the whole goal, like I said, is destruction. These globalists want to turn Canada and America into cesspools. They want to turn us into, a, you know, a Brazil sort of scenario where you have this like multi-immigration melting pot or, you know, people feuding and like, you know, all different groups kind of, you know, chaos. That's what they want. It's only beneficial to them, right? And they'll live, of course, in their white areas, their rich, gated white communities that nobody will have access to except for the billionaires. Yeah, that's actually a reality now. You're seeing a lot of gated communities pop up in the U.S. And yeah, Brazil is like pretty brutal. Like that, that's like another thing too, because Brazil is like pretty notorious for having insanely militarized police. And that's not by coincidence because you have to like really crack down on that stuff hard. There are costs to multiculturalism that people don't want to talk about and yeah. Well, that's the biggest problem. People don't want to talk about the truth. You know, they don't want to say anything because, oh, I'm a racist. If I say something. So what? <laughs> yeah. so what? I'd rather say the truth. You can label me whatever you want. But the truth yeah. is the truth. Yeah. And what does racist mean? Who gives a shit? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, <what does> that <laughs> Sound <mean>? off. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Like, who cares? Everybody's a racist nowadays. Yeah. Anyways, I have to get going because my children are young and they have to go to bed. So... No, no, I had a great time chatting with you, Jill. Where can my listeners keep up with your latest projects? You can find me on Twitter. It's at Jill Colton Free. I used to have a really successful YouTube channel, but the censorship was too much. They kept shutting me down. Uh, But I think one day I will repost to my YouTube channel. But in the meantime, you can find me on my Twitter account. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.